I'm going to start by telling you about five men this morning. Their names are Kenneth Adams, David Wiggins, Marvin Anderson, Steve Barnes, and Louise Diaz. I bet not many of you have heard of any of them ever before. I bet none of these men have ever met one another before. But these men share a very significant life story with one another. You see, all five of these men were accused of extremely violent, brutal crimes. All of these men were convicted of those crimes. All of these men spent more than 20 years each in jail for those crimes. And all five of these men were eventually exonerated from those crimes. It means they were declared innocent of those crimes. And their exonerations were all based on new DNA technology that was underdeveloped at the time when their crimes were investigated. And so we ask, why, so why were these men found guilty then? For, for a number of factors. One, because the forensic science, especially the DNA technology, was underdeveloped at the time. They only did blood typing, which is much less specific. Also, because there was a lot of circumstantial evidence in all of these cases. But very sadly, also, because of false testimony presented during the trials of all five of these men. And some of it was simple eyewitness testimony, which later proved to be incorrect. But some of it was much more serious. It was perjury. It is the willful act of lying while you are under oath in court to tell the truth. And so some people in each of these cases, willingly or maybe because they were persuaded or pressured gave false testimony against these men. They lied about these men. And the result for them was a contributing factor to, to the point where they were found guilty and incarcerated, each of them for more than 20 years while they were innocent. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And it's because of the good work of the Innocence Project that 375 people to this day have been exonerated. And I'm sure most or all of you have felt the sting, the hurt, the, the, the absolute hurt when you have been falsely accused of something in your life. It hurts when people lie about us. It breaks us down. And the lies that were told about these men were no small deal. They were violent acts of hatred against them because they were planned as such. And so this morning we will see that bearing false witness, any form of lying, is not only an act of violence against our neighbor, but it is primarily a serious sin against our holy God, and that the only victory over this sin is found in Jesus Christ who is the truth. Our text this morning, and you can turn there in your Bibles, is Deuteronomy 5, verse 20. 
If you're a visitor, just to clue you in, we are currently in a sermon series and we're preaching through the book of Deuteronomy. And we are now in a little mini-series in our current series as we take one week for each of the Ten Commandments, except if you're Matthew. Then you take two weeks. We take one commandment a week and we preach through these Ten Commandments. And if you've been here for a while, it's been, it's been really uplifting and informative. And this week we are looking at commandment number nine, which is Deuteronomy 5 and verse 20. Look with me there. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And I guess like me, if you hear those words, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, we might immediately think back to these five men that I just spoke about and said, that is exactly why the ninth commandment was written, so that you do not go to court and lie about somebody in that court. You do not bear false witness. And if you think that, you are correct. But this is only the tip of the iceberg of what those ten words mean. And this morning we want to see what does it mean when the, the word of God says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So we're going to look at three main points. First, the substance of bearing false witness. What does this mean? Secondly, how is this sinning against a holy God? And thirdly, our victory in Jesus Christ. Bearing false witness is much more than what happened to these five men that I mentioned in the introduction. It involves more than standing up in a court of law and committing perjury against somebody there. Bearing false witness involves all forms of lying and untruthfulness and deceit. The scope of what is involved is really broad and we will not cover every form of deceit and bearing false witness this morning. But I do want to give you a few practical ways so that we can realize what is it this, this commandment is, is commanding us not to do. We are guilty of bearing false witness when we lie. Now this does not, this does not need a lot of explanation, right? We know what lying is. It is saying something that is not true with the purpose to deceive somebody, to believe something that is not true. It is telling your boss that you worked eight hours from home last Wednesday when in fact you worked six and then you used two to run an errand. It's telling your parents that your brother broke the toy when you broke the toy. It is telling your parents that you were somewhere else than where you truly were. Lying is intentional and blatant, and it is the opposite of what we are called to do in Ephesians 4.15, to speak the truth in love. And so when we lie... When we say something that is opposite to the truth, we are bearing false witness. A second way we are bearing false witness is when we pervert truth or hide a little bit of the truth or withhold completely the truth. And the first instance where we see this in God's word is early on, Genesis 3 verse 1, where we see the serpent 
perverting the truth of what God said to Adam when he came to Adam and Eve with this, with this question, this deceptive question. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? This is not what God said. God said in the previous chapter to Adam, you may eat of every tree in the garden except of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent perverted, changed a little bit, just changed a little bit the truth of what God said in order to deceive Adam and Eve. And he did. And they ate of that fruit that God specifically forbade them to eat of. And then we see immediately after God coming into the garden and he was looking for them and they were hiding from him. And when he found them, he asked them this question in Genesis 3, 11, Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then Adam's response. Oh, the woman. The woman you gave to be with me. She gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And immediately we see Adam perverting the truth again, hiding the truth that he himself ate willfully. It was not shoved down his throat. But he perverted the truth, blaming his wife and even more seriously, blaming God for giving him this wife. And he perverts the truth to try and get the focus off of himself by blaming his wife and God. When we pervert the truth, change the truth, withhold truth, we are bearing false witness, church. The third way we are guilty of bearing false witness is when we gossip. When we spread information and rumors that is factually unsubstantiated, we gossip, we bear false witness. And so I can hear the argument, yeah, but what if what I'm saying is the truth? And then we have to say, telling the truth about someone in a way that puts them down, that puts them in a bad light, that, that hangs a question mark over the integrity of their lives, even if it is the truth, just because it is a juicy story, that is still gossip. That is still bearing false witness. And friends, gossip is a serious offense. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 16, verse 28, that a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Oh, many a friendship have been ruined by arguments that started as a gossip between them. Gossip causes anger and bitterness and pain and strife and resentment between even the closest friends. Gossip tears apart. Gossip separates and divides. And yet we so easily and so eagerly participate in it. And Proverbs 18 verse 7 gives us the reason. Listen to this. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost part. 
We, we participate in gossip because of the deceitfulness of our hearts, because we enjoy these choice morsels that are being offered to us. Why? Because it satisfies our self-love by putting others down. When we gossip and we say, they are so bad, you know what we're really saying is, I'm so amazing. Gossip is self-exaltation, and it is 180 degree opposed to what Paul said in Philippians 2 verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. And here's the sad truth, church. Gossip is like a little planet that has gravity and that likes to pull you into its orbit. It is a sin that just draws us in because of those choice morsels that we so like. And so it is a sin that we need to be aware of, a sin that we need to resist. Do not be pulled into this often. Of course, there are times when we speak about one another when we do not gossip, right? And there's a litmus test here. And the litmus test is what is the intent of me speaking about you? If, if I speak about you to inform or to build up or to care for someone or speaking about love of someone, then I speak the truth in love. But when I speak in a manner that is aimed to defame or to slander or to cast doubt about someone, that is gossip. Counting others more significant than ourselves means we will honor others with our words and we will be respectful to others with our attitudes. Here are two quick exhortations, church, about gossip. Gossip is so prevalent, we have to hear this. If you willingly listen to someone gossiping and enjoying the choice morsels that they are giving you, you are equally guilty of breaking the ninth commandment. Do not let your friends gossip about their friends, their teachers, their co-workers, the politicians, or the pastors. Stop them, exhort them that it is not loving. Exhort them that gossip is sin and that it does not honor God. If it is something that they want to talk about that personally impacts them, then pray for them. Counsel them with God's word. Give them truth. Help them, help them to go and find peace or reconciliation. But do not listen to gossip for the, for, the, for the purpose of enjoying the juicy story, the choice morsel. Do not allow people to just gossip in your ears. Secondly, there's been instances where people have stayed silent because of sin, because they did not want to gossip. Wife, if your husband is an alcoholic and nobody knows about it, Tell your pastors. If your sister is constantly lying to your parents and sneaking out at night, do not be quiet, but tell your parents. Remember the litmus test here. 
If you tell about your husband, if you tell about your sister in order to help them, there's no gossip. But when we stay quiet, church, we we hide sin in darkness and we cover it and we say, oh, it's because I don't want to gossip. Gossip is only if you would do that to destroy them or to hurt them. But when we, when we speak to someone who can help, and I'm not saying go and tell everybody. Go to someone you trust, someone who can help. And that, my friend, is not gossip. Moving on. Fourth way we are guilty of bearing false witness is when we slander Oh, what a vile sin, church. Gossip and slander are very closely related. And the Bible often mentions them side by slide. But slander takes gossip to a whole new level. While gossip is, loves serving these choice morsels to people around us, slander is taking those secrets or making up more facts, and then spreading those things in the places where they can do most harm. Slander is like the artillery division of gossip. Slander aims to harm. It means to destroy. It is launched like a missile with the purpose to go and annihilate. Hear what Proverbs 25, 18 says. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. When we slander people, we do harm to those people. And slander has destroyed countless friendships, has wrecked innumerable marriages has devastated unnumbered reputations and have broken apart more churches I think than anything else and so this morning I want to warn you church do not think of the sin of bearing false witness gossiping, slandering changing the truth a little bit telling a white lie as any less egregious any less serious than anything else prohibited in God's word do not think murder gossip gossip is serious and the Bible lists the sin of gossip and lying and slandering bearing false witness as extremely serious with extremely serious consequences when you and it says the six things God hates, the seven things that are an abomination to God. Do you know that three of those is about bearing false witness? A lying tongue, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers by gossiping and slandering. This is no small matter when we say not to gossip, not to slander, not to bend the truth. And the consequences are severe. Revelation 21 verse 8 says this, But as far as the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, 
which is the second death. Friend, don't think that gossip is a small matter for God. Why? Why is it so serious? Because bearing false witness is not only an act of violence against your neighbor, by the way, who is made in the image of God, but it is a sin primarily against our holy God. Let me offer you three reasons why I say that. Bearing false witness is primarily sinning against our holy God because it is in direct opposition to who God is. God is truth. It means that truth itself proceeds from God. Jesus said in John 14, 16 that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Jesus does not only love truth. He does not only have truth. Jesus, God the Son, is truth. There is no deceit found in him. There is no falsehood, no misrepresentation, no slander, no gossip, no lying, and no bearing false witness. When Jesus stood condemned before Pilate, He didn't try and change the truth a little bit so that he could be free. He spoke the truth. When Jesus was reviled, to revile means to be criticized in an abusive and angrily insulting way. It's it's being slandered. When Jesus was slandered, he he did not revile in return. He cannot because he is the truth. He is utterly holy, completely without sin, perfect in being. It is impossible, says the writer of Hebrews, for God to lie. Or here, Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? I'll give you the answer to those two questions. The answer is no. Whatever he said, he has done. Whatever he has spoken, he has fulfilled. The entire Bible is evidence of God's truthfulness. All the promises God made about a Messiah, about a Savior, starting back in Genesis 3... All those promises he has fulfilled. All the prophecies about God reconciling a people to himself are true and was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. His words are truth because he is the truth. And when we Christian, as representatives and as image bearers of the God of truth... Bear false witness? When we lie and gossip and pervert the the truth and slander, then we are in opposition to the holy God who is truth. Bearing false witness is sin against our holy God. Second, why is bearing false witness primarily sin against God? Because it is in opposition to the work that Jesus Christ came to accomplish in us 
for us and through us. 2 Corinthians 5.18, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus came to reconcile. He came to reconcile sinners to the Father. You see, Adam and Eve were created in perfect harmony with God. But when they sinned, back in Genesis 3, this harmony, this perfect union was utterly destroyed. And there came separation between man and God. And that separation could not be restored by man, by no amount of moral behavior and by no exertion of human will can that be restored because God is utterly holy and without sin and man was now sinful in nature. And a great divide existed between God and man. And man stood in utter condemnation under the righteous wrath of a holy God. But then in love, God promised, and he sent his only begotten son to restore that separation and to reconcile people to God. Jesus Christ, the the Son of God, came to this earth with all its frailties and all its difficulties and all the temptations that we face. And he lived the perfect, obedient, sinless life and he became the only perfect and worthy sacrifice for our sins. And he willingly went to the cross and when he went there, the innocent died for the guilty and he carried our guilt and he paid our ransom with his own blood and he bore our sins and he took God's wrath and he exhausted God's wrath on behalf of us and he restored the shattered shattered relationship that was between us and the father And now for those who believe, who have repented of their sins, who have turned away from living to themselves and live for God and his glory, he grants life everlasting with him. Jesus, friends, came to reconcile, to bring together and to unite. And when we slander, gossip, pervert the truth, we are in direct opposition to what Christ came to accomplish. Because lying and slandering will sow division rather than reconciliation. It destroys relationship rather than strengthening relationships. It creates separation rather than unity. It tears down rather than building up. And so when we do that, we do the opposite of what Christ came to do. But this is not only Christ who came to do that. If you listen again to 2 Corinthians 15 verse 18, and this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, but listen then, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
God called you and me to tell the world that they can and must be reconciled to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. How? By speaking the truth in love. By proclaiming the truth that Jesus Christ died for their sins. And when people are reconciled to God, we, church, are reconciled to one another in him. But when we lie to each other, when we pervert the truth, when we fail to honor God with our words, then we fail to honor him for reconciling us to him and reconciling us to each other and we fail to walk in the calling that he called us in. Third reason, why is bearing false witness sinning against God? Because it is in opposition to the new commandment Jesus gave us. John 3.34 A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you so you are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And of course this love is explained in Romans thir- uh, sorry 1 Corinthians 13 you can go read that it says love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast is not arrogant or rude it's not insisting on its own way It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so, friend, I need to ask you this morning, do you love like this? Are you you patient with your neighbor and kind to your students or your parents or your co-workers? Or do you envy them? And because you envy them, you gossip about them. Are you resentful of them? And so you slander them. Do you insist on your own way? And therefore you are irritable and you lie. Does your boss make you so angry that you tell everybody, everybody in the office how bad he is? Or do you bear all things, endure all things, while trusting God's goodness and faithfulness to you? We can do that, church. We can bear all things through Christ, without slandering and without gossiping and without lying. We are to be known as Christ's disciples, not because we say we are, We are to be known as Christ's disciples by our love for one another. Gossip and slander, bearing false witness, is the opposite of that. That's why it is an affront to our holy God. And so we have seen that bearing false witness is an act of violence against our neighbor and that it is primarily a sin against our holy God. Now let's look at this that our only victory over this sin is found in Jesus Christ, who is the truth. The sin of bearing false witness, friends, is a matter of the heart. 
You've heard us say that as we've preached through this series. It is a matter of the heart. Matthew 15, 18 says, but what comes out of the mouth, lying, gossip, slander, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? From the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Bearing false witness originates in our heart, friends. And it is a result of our sin nature, which we inherited because of Adam's sin. And in your own strength, you will never have victory over the sin of bearing false witness. James chapter 3, which has less than flattering language about our tongues, says this in verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. No human can, friends. And if you leave this morning and you think the takeaway message from this sermon is that you need to go out there and in your own power stop lying, deceiving, gossiping, slandering, then you're missing the point of this message. No human can tame the tongue because it originates from our hearts. But here's the amazing good news, friends. Jesus can tame your tongue. And actually, Jesus already did that. Christian, you are not a slave to your old sin nature anymore. Your old sin nature itself was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that you would no longer be enslaved to sin. So if you're a Christian, if you have repented of your sin, you have turned away and you live for the glory of Christ, friend, then your old nature was crucified with Christ. You are a new nature, new creature, and sin no longer has dominion over you. Isn't it good news? Jesus Christ, who is the truth, conquered sin for you and for me on that cross. His victory on that cross was our victory over the sin of bearing false witness. But Josh, I'm a Christian. Why then if my sin nature was crucified with Christ, am I still prone to bend the truth a little, to withhold some truth and to gossip? I think the answer is found in what Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 34. He says that it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so what comes out of the mouth, church, what comes out of your mouth and my mouth should serve as evidence to us what the abundance of our hearts is. It should show us who sits on the throne of our hearts. It should show us what, who, who is our greatest treasure, who rules our hearts. 
And so if you're guilty of gossip and bending the truth in subtle ways and slandering, bearing false witness, here are some suggestions. Turn to God this morning and ask him to forgive you. Knowing that you cannot change your mouth or your heart. But that he died so that you could be free from this sin. So go to him. Ask him to rid you of that. Ask him to change your heart. Ask him to put a guard in your mouth. So that you will not dishonor him by what you speak. And then, friends, let us endeavor to make Christ the abundance of our hearts. Make him our highest delight and our highest treasure. Let us resolve, like Paul, to know nothing among ourselves except Christ and him crucified. And we can talk about how can we do this. We can talk for a week how to do this. But here's a good start. Remember Colossians 3. It says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. How, how do we pursue? How, how, do, how do we go about making Christ our treasure? We look to Jesus. We, don't, we, we, we keep ourselves busy with the things above and not the things down here. Friends, this word is the words of life, the words of truth. If we want Christ to dwell richly in us, we read this word. And the more you read this word, the more Christ will become the abundance in your heart, the treasure of your life. Do not be lazy to read this word. If you struggle to read this word, ask help from a friend. How do, how do you do this? How do you read this word? It's, it's just, it's hard for me to do. How can you help me do this? Do not neglect God's word. This is going to strange, sound strange. Listen to good music. Do not undervalue what music you listen to. You cannot day by day listen to a bunch of nonsense music singing all about the glories of this world and think your heart will be towards God. We have to see, we have to listen to music that is gospel-focused, Christ-centered, make much of Christ. I'm not saying you cannot listen to country music. I love country music. But the vast majority of of things that are sung about in country music, I think we'll agree, does not point our eyes to the cross of Christ. And so make time where you sit and you listen to music and you focus on the words that help you take your eyes off of this world and fix it on Christ. Here's another thing we can do. Do not neglect to do this. To come together as the church. This is where we hear God's word preached. This is where we sing together. We worship together. We partake of the elements together. This is necessary. We need one another. I need you church. You need each other. 
to help one another look to Christ and not to this world. And I'll say one more. Pursue godly friendships. You must have friends in your life that help you look to Jesus, that encourages you in your walk, encourages you when you go through hard times, not to gossip about it, not to slander, but to look to Jesus and to find your joy in Jesus. Friends, if we do these things, and there are many other ways, what will happen is we will see Jesus more clearly. He will become the abundance of our heart. He is worthy of this church. He is the pearl of greatest value. Sell everything you have. Give everything away that you have to gain Christ. He is the beginning and the end. He is the all-sufficient and all-satisfying Savior, the creator and the sustainer of everything. There is none like him. And so we should do anything we can to make him our greatest treasure. So friend, behold him. Fix your eyes on him daily. Praise him. Delight in him. Ask him. Ask him, Lord, will you help me that you will be a greater treasure for me than all the wealth I've accumulated, than my work and my hobbies and everything else I do. And friend, when your heart and your thoughts and your soul is satisfied in him, do you know what will flow out of your mouth? Not gossip, not slander, not lies. What will flow from your mouth is praise to our king and thanksgiving to our savior and honor to our most high God. Adoration For Jesus, who is the lover of our souls. And so do you want to know how to overcome the sin of bearing false witness? And every other sin? The fight for victory over sin is the fight for the supremacy of Christ in your life. There's no better fight that you can fight, church than to make Christ everything that you delight in, that you find pleasure in. Because the more he becomes your treasure, the more junk the rest will become. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and what? The things of this world will grow strangely dim. It is true. So may God, friends, grant us the mercy to delight in him more than any other thing, to honor his name by not bearing false witness, by speaking the truth in love. I pray that God will do that for each of you. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. I want to pray for every person in this room this morning. And I want to ask, Lord, will you grant us, will you grant us that our hearts will grow fonder of you and less fond of this world? 
Will you help us, Lord, that you will become more of a treasure to us and that this world will grow strangely dim in our view? Will you help us, Lord, to see you as glorious, as abundant, as merciful, as enough to satisfy us? And will you help us to not want this world to satisfy us? And then, Father, I pray that you will help each one of us as we grow in that, that we will be able to to get victory over the sin of bearing false witness as we honor you who is our God, who is truth. Lord, we know we cannot do that. We, I know for a fact because I've tried and failed. I cannot change my own heart. I cannot stop breaking the ninth commandment. But you can do that for me. So we ask that you do that for everyone here this morning. To the, to the glory of your name. Amen.